Hey everybody. Hey listen, question for you. Have you ever had a conversation with someone and then after that it left a sort of mark upon you? A mark upon your, your mind, your thoughts, you could even say uh, your soul. The, the, the conversations that we have sometimes with certain people can be very meaningful, sometimes meaningless, but sometimes very, very meaningful. So significant sometimes these conversations you have, they can change the course and trajectory of your life for good, sometimes even for bad. It reminds me, um, many, many years ago, I was in this community, I'm, I'm in Ashland right now, I was the uh, police chaplain. I was for the Ashland Police Department. It was a great honor to be um, a part of the community in this kind of uh, leadership role. I really enjoyed it. I mean, there were certain um, uh, inherent benefits with that. Like, uh, I remember when they gave me a uniform, I remember coming home to my wife, like, look at this uniform. She's like, yeah. Anyway, sidebar. Um, and I remember, you know, being able to do the ride-alongs, and I remember uh, they gave me a badge. I still have that badge. Every now and then I want to flash it and see if I can get certain things done that way, but no, I won't. Just kidding. Um, uh, I, I can remember I, I had this police bike. I could go around the community. There was just a lot of cool stuff about this uh, particular role, but there was one aspect of this um, responsibility I couldn't stand, and um, the the police department would call me every now and then out of nowhere. And it would be because someone had died. Someone had, there was some kind of fatal vehicular homicide, vehicular accident or homicide. There would be some kind of sometimes suicides, things like that. And they would call me and they would ask me to go along with the officer to visit those that were left behind and communicate to them that their loved one has departed. <sighs> Not fun, you know? And I remember this one time, right up the road from here, a young man was driving his car, he was under the influence, he had a sibling in the car, lost control, and he wrapped his car around a tree, and they both were killed. It was horrible. Dring, you know, uh, PD, can you come down to the PD, and can you um, go with one of the officers to the scene? I remember going to the scene, and they wanted me to give, like, the last rites. You know, it's, depending on your tradition, just a way of, you know, releasing the soul to God. And basically, I believe, to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. But I would do these things, you know, kind of to be sensitive to the environment and continue to be an influence there. And so the, the scene was super sad. And then after that... Um, they, of course, asked me to go um, and to communicate this to the family. In particular, um, I think it, the, the mother was the one I was supposed to deliver this to. And I had to go to her workplace. And I remember driving in the police car, police officer driving. I'm in the driver's seat, and I'm looking out the window, and I'm just thinking to myself, this is not what I want to do. I remember thinking, I'm going to... There's going to be words that come out of my mouth that are forever going to change her life. They're so, these words are so powerful that whatever she was headed, whatever she was thinking, whatever she thought before, whatever she planned before, it was going to be totally changed in that moment. They were so powerful. It was 
It was really tough, I'm not gonna lie. I'll never forget it as long as I live. But as I was leaving that day from that workplace in Natick, I'll never forget it. I'm going back, I'm in the car, same car with the same police officer. And the Spirit of God spoke to me, the Holy Spirit spoke to me, he said, son, I don't think you realize something, that the words that I've put inside of you about me are, are more powerful, more life-altering than even those words that you spoke to her. But the difference is they don't take life, they don't steal, they don't rob, they bring life. They bring ultimately eternal life. They bring to people here and now abundant life to those that believe and receive. And so what I'm going to be talking about in this series as we go forward is these divine exchanges, these divine encounters that we have with divinity. A, a, an, an ordinary person has an encounter with, a, a conversation with Christ, as it were, and as a result of that conversation, they were marked for life. They, they were marked by the maker himself. And so this series of conversations, which will, uh, which will start today, and it'll continue through and beyond Easter, I hope they don't just grab your attention. I hope they don't just make you think. I hope that from them, like those that were in these stories, you will never be the same again. Can you join me as we pray? Uh, Father God, I thank you so much for this opportunity to speak to the people that are here today. I pray that something I say changes something inside of each person. May this be more than a message, more than a motto, a mantra. May it be something uh, that is more than what can be orchestrated by man and a, and, and a wordsmith crafted from someone, but may the power of the Holy Spirit uh, be in these words and work through these words in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. So we're starting a new series today, Encounters with Jesus, and we're gonna look at all these really cool conversations. But I wanna welcome all of you to connect. Those of you who are watching online, I wanna just say welcome. Uh, my name is Pastor Derek. I'm the lead pastor of Connect Church. Those of you maybe watching in the privacy of your homes, God bless you, we're so glad you're with us. I wanna do a special welcome to all the city groups out there. Come on, can I get a shout from everybody? Can I hear you, can I hear you? Are you excited to just be in church and be in person? Today we have six locations meeting around the region, uh, Natick and Framingham. Ashland, Milford, Marble, at our newest and sixth location in Shrewsbury, Massachusetts. So exciting. You guys have a killer location. There's so much room. We'll probably have some big events out there. I'm so, so proud of you. Pastor Jim, way to go. Your team, way to go on that. Um, psyched about all you guys meeting in person. By the way, for all of you that call Connect Home, Easter is two weeks away, two weeks away. And so if you are planning to uh, meet with us in person on April 4th, we're having, I believe, seven services, um, six different locations, and you need to register, okay? So please, please do that early. Do that early. I know you guys think, this, you know, it's no big deal. It's a big deal. We, we want to plan and prepare for you, so register early. And then sometimes, and it's happened with some events, there's suddenly no room, okay? And so you may want to go to a certain location because it's close to you. I'd encourage you to register early because we do have limited capacities at each location. Then, I uh, want to also say that we have a baptism, okay? Baptism, water baptism. Uh, that is on the 18th of April. There should be some information showing up and on the screen, but I want to let you know about that water baptism. I'll be teaching the morning 
uh, the Sunday morning on water baptism, but we'll have a service at night at our Ashland location. We have a we have a nice little warm pool for you, and a lot of you didn't get a chance to follow in Jesus' footsteps and be water baptized in 2020, and now is your time in 2021. And lastly, my last announcement is some of you haven't gotten a small group yet, and so we have, for a limited time only and with limited opportunity, uh, we have what we call SSU groups. They are sermon, uh, what do we call them? Um, uh, Sermon, dang it, I can't remember the word. It's something, uh, Sunday Sermons Unpacked, SSU, Sunday Sermons Unpacked. I think I came up with a name. I can't remember why we called it that. But basically, um, we're having these virtual groups that unpack these conversations that we're starting with. We want to continue those with you online. So if you want to kind of be introduced to small groups or maybe you didn't enroll in some of the groups before when the semester started, you can now. We'll be having a short, uh, like I think it's about six weeks of SSU groups, and they start today, register today. Should be in the chat online. Ask somebody at one of the city groups if you want to join, and uh, I hope that you guys will make that a part of your week um, routine. Now, to our conversation of the day. Come on, everybody in the chat say amen. I'm excited. I can't wait to get in the word. All you in the city groups, are you ready for our first conversation? Say yahoo. What was that? Okay, so today we're going to talk about the rich young ruler. Now, if I was to summarize the uh, message, it's about God asking us for total commitment because he gave total commitment to us. So if there's something to walk away, there it is. Total commitment from God required. Total commitment from God came for you and for me. And so in the book of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it's all recorded that the rich young ruler was in fact rich. Matthew says he was young. Uh, Mark and Luke say he was rich, and that's how we get the rich young ruler. But in addition to that, we have additional information from other texts, other historical evidence, other historians and even theologians that say that this man was known as the richest man who had ever lived in Israel. And so we'll get more into that as we go forward, but we're looking at Mark chapter 10, verse 17. In verse 17, it says this, Jesus is uh, he's going along the road, and bam, this guy comes in out of nowhere. Now, as he was going out on the road, one came running, that's the rich young ruler, and he knelt before him and asked, good teacher, what shall I do, remember that, do, that I may inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments, young man, that's my little ad. And then he lists six commandments, not the first six, he lists the last six. There's only ten, but he doesn't list the first four. He lists the last six. Interesting. He says, do not commit adultery. Don't murder. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Don't defraud and honor your father and mother. And then the guy says to him, teacher, I've done all those. I've kept all those from since I was knee high to a grasshopper. And then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, one thing you lack, though. Go your way. Sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and then you're going to have treasures in heaven, and then come back, take up your cross, and follow me. And when the guy heard this, he was sad, very sorrowful, for he had great possessions, or one translation says he had great wealth. So what did the rich young ruler learn? Three points in our message today. Three-point message. It'll be easy for you. Number one, write this down. He learned that good isn't good enough. Now, same story, different text. Look at in the bath in the book of Matthew, Matthew 19, 16. It says, now behold, one came and said to him, 
that's the rich young ruler, and said to him, good teacher, what good thing, you might want to underline that, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? Why do you call me good? No one is good but God. So this rich young ruler was focused on being good or doing good enough, right? That's what we can see clearly from here. His focus was on doing good enough so that he can have or somehow almost acquire, as it were, eternal life. And this is how so many of us think. And this is apparently how they used to think back then too. This is how uh, most religions are based today. The basis of most religions is some type of uh, scale system, some type of scoring system, as it were. And if you were to go on the street and you were to interview people uh, and ask the question, what, what must you do to, to, to have eternal life? Nine out of ten of them are going to say something about, you know, well, I was no Mother Teresa, but I wasn't Hitler. I was no you know, Stacy Fry, but I was no Stalin, you know, I, I, w I, was, I was not that bad, but I was, I was pretty good, you know, it's something about being good, and we clearly see that that is not the way or the possibility by which we enter or receive heaven, so Jesus makes the statement, don't call me good, there's only one good who is who? God, so all of us as onlookers or listeners to the story know that he's talking to this guy, we know he's God, but it's more important that this guy knows he's God. And so the only one good is God, but he's talking to God, but basically Jesus, he has to come to the realization and he has to come to the acknowledgement that, that he's good and he's God and, and they go together. In other words, if we talk about, if we talk about good, we have to talk about God. All that is good comes from uh, God. The goodness comes from God. So Jesus then throws this kind of curveball at him, and he basically says, I want you to know one thing that you must do. No, no, the, the guy wants to know the one thing he must do to have it, and then Jesus responds with one thing. Since you're going to play that game, I'll play it back. There's one thing you must get first, and the first thing you must know that is the only, there's only one who is good. You want the one thing, but let me tell you the one thing that you got to get first, and that thing is God is the only one who is good. I hope you're tracking with that. So if that's true, your approach, uh, young man, has to change. Your approach to God can't be what's good enough or what's not good enough. Good is not, is simply not good enough, uh, young man. And so this doesn't mean... I believe, and I think we'll see in all kinds of, within the full counsel of the scriptures, it doesn't mean we don't do good. It doesn't mean we don't teach good. It doesn't mean we shouldn't, you know, uh, uh, you know work to do good things, but we don't, we're not saved to do, uh, we're not saved by the good things that we do. In other words, we're, we're saved to become a disciple. When you and I become a disciple, you're saved to do good works, not by them. Or I think this is in your notes, you're not saved by good works, you're saved for good works. So as a result of salvation, you should want to do good works. It's not out of a response or a debt. It's, out, it's born out of a motivation because a debt has been paid. Do you get me out there, everybody, okay? So God doesn't want us to do good things, but it isn't good. God does want us to do good things, but it isn't good enough to get you eternal security or get you heaven. Now, some of you are like, I know this, I know this. Okay, but it's important to know it such that you can give it away. It's important to know it such that it changes your every day. So 
Some of you listen to this and you snap out of it right away. And I'm going to get you a little bit later, okay? But it's important to know it so you give it away. It's important to know it so it changes you every day. So what, if it was, if there was a way to be good enough, what would the scale have to look like? What would the score on the test have to be? And that's what Jesus is dealing with with this rich one, this rich young ruler. Because you and I, all of us, uh, I wrote this in my notes. We slip into rationalizations about what is good instead of move into relationship with who is good. See, what ha- we do this all the time. Religion sneaks his ugly head into our relationship with God, and we start rationalizing things. Now, to be kind of humorous, uh, for those of you who are parents out there, raise your hand if you're a parent in the chat. Raise your hand in the city groups if you have a parent praying for you right now. Praying for you, okay? It's a crazy time to be a parent. But kids, you know this to be true. They often try to tell us the good things they've done. They want to earn something. They want some kind of credit. Probably... You know, where did they learn that? <laughs> Maybe from us. I remember a um, long time ago, my son's, you know, grown man now, but I remember many, many years ago saying to my son, he had gotten in a fight with his sister Mallory, and she's holding her face. And I said, Devin, Devin, what happened? Did you hit Mallory? And he paused, like every kid does who's contemplating, you know, their future. <laughs> he paused to decide whether he was going to be a boy of character, a boy of deception. And he says, uh, yes, um, but I hit her in the arm, not the face. And so to him, that was good and not bad in his mind. In other words, the arm is good, the face is bad, dad. And he, so, so he revealed as a really young, like two and a half, three-year-old kid, I think he was older than that, like more five or six kid, he's realized, he's, he's, he's showing us his rationalizations. He's showing us that he's got a measuring stick, as it were, about what is good or what is good enough. And truthfully, we're all children like that. We all get ourselves in trouble like that. And and we need to be discipled out of it. Now, I had to discipline my son out of that. You know, I I spanked my kids growing up. Some of you, and I knocked the foolishness right out of them. Some of you are like, whoa. You know, um, I heard one parent say, uh, I'd rather go to jail as an adult for spanking my kid than my kid go to jail as an adult for not spanking them when they were a kid. Come on, somebody. Some of you are nervous out there. You're like, I can't believe he's talking about spanking his kids. You know, is he afraid of having them taken away? Not anymore, because I'm old. And if you want them, you can have them. Praise the Lord. No, I'm just kidding. But my daughter, um, my daughter, um, Mallory, she was, she was a rationalizer and a negotiator. That's another level of, of it. And she was a master at this. And she would, she, would want to, she would want me to see her goodness in comparison to whatever it is that she's getting in trouble for. And so when she would make a mistake, she would come to me um, and try to get out of punishment. And so she'd be like, Daddy, 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 can I tell you just one thing? Just one thing, Daddy. I just want you to know something. I, have I told you how much I love you? How much? I mean, she's like five, five, six years old, and she's negotiating me with this. I love you, Daddy. And I'm like, well, I love you too, honey, but you're still going to get punished. You're still going to be disciplined. And then she said, wait, 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 wait. One more thing, one more thing, Daddy, Daddy. Daddy, I earned something, and I want to give it to you. I earned a dollar, and I want to give you my dollar because I love you. And she's trying to bribe me. She's like five or six years old, trying to bribe me. I said, that's great, Mallory, but that's not going to change anything. And, and she's like, but daddy, but daddy, but daddy, one more thing. You, you, can, can, I, can I just have a hug right now? Can I just hug you? And are you guys getting the picture? Okay. So in a way, as God's children, 
that's extreme maybe to you, but we are like that. Now, we're thinking to ourselves, yeah, we're bad, but we're not that bad. And so we're okay. Now, see, listen, one thing and you're bad. One, one, um, one mess up and you've messed it all up. If you're wrong at one point or at any point, the, the law says then you've, you've, you've not fulfilled and you've, you've, you've messed up. In other words, the requirement from God to be in right standing with God is perfection, is 100% on your, on your report card. You can't get pretty good, good job, smiley face, an emoji means you're okay. No, 60, 70, 80, 90, 95, 90. 100 is the requirement. And it required a total, a 100% score and a total commitment to fulfill that. And so you and I, no one is good. No one is good enough. And you and I must rely on the one who came to earth, never failed, never sinned, never messed up, never screwed up. And we have to trust in him as the only one who can satisfy that. John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and life. You know this. No one comes to the Father. No one, no one, no one is good. No one comes to the Father except by me, he said, he said. So since this guy's thinking along these lines, this rich young ruler, Jesus decides to use this line of reasoning with him, and he refers to the commandments. And one by one, he goes through these commandments, right? Interestingly enough, he mentions the last six and not the first four. Why? Is it because he forgot him? No, I think it was intentional. Because interestingly enough, the, the, the last six have to do with how we love others. The first six have to do with how we love God. In fact, Jesus knows the commandments so well, he could sum them all up, and he did that multiple times, and he said, you know, the, the, the kind of the great commission, the great commandment, but the great commandment is love the Lord your God, and, and then the great commission is love people as yourself, and, and that's kind of the big summary there, but, but this guy's like, yeah, I've done all those, but if he started with the first four, the first commandment would have knocked him out, you know, is there shall, there shall be no other gods before me. And so Jesus didn't start there because he wanted to bring him there. And he wanted to bring him there through his kind of his, his reasonings. And, and so Jesus knew who this guy's God was, who he put before him, before the one true God. You know what his God was? Possessions. It was possessions. He knew that was his God. And so the first thing that we learn in this encounter with Jesus, this conversation with Christ is that good is not good enough. Number two, write this down. Number two, he learned that God requires total commitment, total commitment. This is a big one, and I wonder if this guy felt at first like he was doing pretty good. You know, Jesus, you know, says, you know, the commandments, and the guy's, yeah, I've kept them off from my youth, and he's like, there's one more thing you've got to do, and this guy's probably thinking, oh, okay, just one more thing. You know, I, I, cool, one more thing I need to do, like, that's my thing, is doing the right thing, and, you know, and works. And, and, and he's probably thinking pretty good because he's in a religion mindset. He's in a works-based mindset. He thinks that's what's going to gain him right standing. And by the way, again, every major religion is based on this notion. But Christianity is not like that. Christianity is not on works. It's on grace. Christianity is not religion. It's relationship. And so it's totally different. It's not, you know, up, down, turn around, you're going to be okay with God. It's not five times pray a day, you'll be okay with God. It's not how much you give. It's not go to the, the holy Mecca before you die, and then you'll be able to, when you die, you'll be able to go to heaven. No, no. So if that's not the case, how do you think this guy felt when Jesus told him the one thing that he lacked? 
Look at verse 21. It says, one thing you lack, young man. Go and sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Now, before we focus on him, let's, let's turn the conversation towards you and me. You know, think about this. If, if, if I, you know, this question, you know, I was thinking about, would you, Derek, would you fill in your name, give up everything to go to heaven? Well, some of you are like, yeah, of course I would. Yes, absolutely. Because you're in church right now. You're in a city group right now, or you're in your house and, and, and there's no account. You just say yes so quickly. So let me reframe the question. Let me put it like this. A better question might be, are you, not would you, every day giving up everything to him? Are you giving up your stresses? Are you giving up the people that, uh, you know, have kind of hit you hard between the eyes, you know, like everything and everyone, are you giving it over to Jesus every day? Are you giving up everything you have every day to God? Like, the Bible doesn't say go get on the cross, but it does say become a living sacrifice. And so we're supposed to be willing to give up everything every single day. And it's amazing to me how many people will quickly say, yes, I would give up everything for him, for heaven. I would give up everything, and I am giving up everything every day. But they, they can't give up 10% of their resources. Like, by percentage, we don't have people that are totally committed because by percentage, it's, it's, there's a simple test right there. That's just one of them. That's just one of those tests. Honestly, I think it's a basic test, a basic test. It's like... During the Crusades, which I can't remember the time period, I want to say the 1200s, but during the Crusades, the, 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 the nation became, England became a Christian nation by edict. You're all Christians. You must be baptized. So everybody's getting baptized, immersed. And as the soldiers were immersed, you know what they did? They held their swords out of the water. Do you know why they held their swords out of the water? Because it was a way of saying, uh, I'm totally committed except for this part of me. And I think there is many of us today that would say, I'm totally committed minus fill in the blank. For some of you, what we're holding out is our wallets. What is it in your life today that you say with your mouth you're totally committed to, but really we're holding something out? Are we totally committed? So to get kind of even more real, I think there's a lot of people that think we're okay with God, you know? And we're going to get up there one day and... Yeah, we were all in. We were all in. I think some people, honestly, and I hate this point, we might be surprised. We're, we weren't totally committed to God. And I think Christianity has a, um, has a requirement of it that we would be all in. We would be all in. So, question for you. Did he tell the rich young ruler to sell everything so he can have eternal security? The answer, I think, is no. No, he didn't. And look at this closer, uh, Mark 10, 21. So Jesus looked at him, he loved him, and he said to him, one thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. You'll have treasure in heaven. He's not talking about how you go to heaven, it's what you get in heaven. And come now, as a result of doing what I asked you to do, take up your cross and follow me. So here's what I think he's saying. I think he's saying, you get to heaven... Um, the same way everybody else gets to heaven. But what is getting in your way is what I'm wanting to deal with. What is stopping this man is his possessions. And it's this idolatry. It's this, this small G, this other God. And so what Jesus wants to do with the rich young ruler 
and what he wants to do with you and me in order for us to get to total commitment is deal with the thing that is stopping us. Deal with the thing that is impeding our progress so we can follow God. And every person, yeah, they get saved the same way by grace, but every person must also deal with that thing that one thing that we are putting ahead of God, there's often one significant thing that is stopping you from being a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. So write this down. Every person must deal with whatever we put ahead of God. Uh, Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone, are you in anyone? If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. By the way, denial of self is different than self-denial. Self-denial has self on the throne. Self still calling the shots. Denial of self has Christ on the throne. See, Christ wants to be on the throne of your life. And when and if he is, your life will never be the same again. So selling everything he had, giving it to the poor, might have been the hardest thing for this man to do. For some of you, it might not be quite as hard because you don't have as much, or maybe that's not an idol for you. But Jesus says in this scripture, if anyone, and you're an anyone, and I'm an anyone, would come after me, uh, he must, he must, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. He's saying you and I must be, um, not die on the cross, but be willing to. Be willing to. See, the people at this time knew what the cross represented. They knew that it was an excruciating, painful, horrible death. But we have so eliminated that from our theology as Christians. Christ is not asking us necessarily to physically die on a cross, but we are to die to ourselves. We are to deny ourselves, And sometimes those things can be painful, but the corresponding reward comes after that when we do that. And so... You might say, well, I'm glad I'm not that rich young ruler because he had a lot to give up. No, the price, the requirement really is still the same. It just may be in a different lane. God requires total commitment. He wants total commitment uh, for him. He wants total commitment to him and on him. On him, to him, and for him. He wants your total commitment. And when you give him that and you rely on him that way, you need to know something. He will never let you down because you can totally rely on God. Now, there was a politician, um, a successful, um, famous politician. This is a true story. I won't give the names. And he could really move a crowd. Everybody was amazed by his uh, his gift as an orator. But what people didn't know was behind this orator was a incredible uh, speechwriter, and this speechwriter was really, really, really good. And and so one day the speechwriter, you know, he's 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 self-aware. He realizes, you know what, uh, I need a raise. I've got a family. So he goes to the famous politician, says, I, I, I'm, I've been doing a good job. I'd like to have a raise. I've been helping you out. I've been doing a really good job. And this politician, who was an American hero, basically says, you know what, I hear what you're saying but it should be good enough for you to work with me uh, as an American hero. That should be your reward. And I'm sorry, I'm going to have to decline your, uh, your request uh, for a raise. Well, shortly after that, he was speaking to a group of veterans, uh, thousands of veterans, and he's getting ready to reveal a 17-point plan to kind of bolster um, the, the, the veterans and help them. And he's going through all these things, and he's got them, you know, just eating, uh, just, just eating from his hand. And, and he looks down at his notes, and he's about to reveal this plan, turns the page, and it says, 
You are on your own, oh great American hero. <laughs> True story. And so you and I, we can't be dependent upon people, but we can be dependent upon God. But it's interesting how we require of him total commitment with partial commitment, partial obedience, minimal, you know, a buy-in. We're, we're, we're dropouts, cop-outs. We're not sold out. We're not all in as God would ask us to be. And so you can totally commit to God, but he is looking for total commitment from you. Lastly, number three, write this down. Third point is, and we can learn from the rich young ruler, is he learned that Jesus loved him. I love this point. A lot of people totally miss this part, but Jesus loved him. Um, Jesus loved him so much, and, and, that, and, and you can see how he felt about this guy. In Mark, 20, Mark 10, 21, it says Jesus looked at him, and he loved him. That must have been an interesting look, you know? And we know he loved him because the Bible said so, but we also know he loved him because if you have the appropriate definition of love, you can see that he was willing to tell this man the truth. My daddy used to say, you know, love will tell you your breath stinks. And I was laughed at that. And now I, my modernization is, you know, bro, step back, get a tic-tac, you know, zip up your fly. You know, love will tell you some things sometimes that you can't see, that you're, you're not privy to, you're, you're not self-aware. And, and so he, God, Jesus, confronted the sin of the rich young ruler, not to hurt him, but to save him but to save him. And he helped him see a blind spot, a specific area that was stopping him, stealing from him, taking from him. And he, he, had, to, he had to identify his cross to bear. And he was totally honest with him. This is your cross. Your cross is possessions. Your cross may be your pride. Your cross may be your idolatry for a certain relationship or a certain person or even your kids. Your cross could be your dream because you haven't submitted it to God's will for your life. You all have a cross to bear. And so when there is something that is stopping you or impeding you from the progress and the purpose of God for your life, you can't see it. And somebody will share it with you and say it to you. That's love, buddy. That's real, real love. Can I have an amen in the chat? Can I have an amen from all the city groups? Okay. So there's something interesting. There's, this, this story has kind of like two misconceptions. The first one is, I think everybody thinks it's saying you have to sell everything in order to be saved. And that's not what it says. He's trying to get the rich young ruler to deal with his cross. And then the second misconception, and I love this thought, and I don't think you've been here before, but the Bible doesn't say he didn't sell everything and give it to the poor. It says he walked away sorrowful. And you would be too if you knew how much money this dude had. In fact, this guy, and you kind of have to put pieces of this together, so stay with me, but this guy referred to Jesus as teacher. One translation, it says good teacher. And there was a certain individual that also did this with Jesus in the New Testament, and his name was Nicodemus. Nicodemus. Can't wait to meet this guy someday. Nicodemus, one time in John chapter 3, came to Jesus at night. Sometimes people call this the Nick at night story in John chapter three. And he had questions about eternity and eternal life. And Jesus said, well, hey, here's the deal. For to have that, you must be born again. Nicodemus is like, what? Go back into my mother's womb. Jesus is like, no, 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 no. Let me unravel this for you. It's not about you being born of water. It's about you being born of the spirit. What is that? How do I see that? How do I understand that? And Jesus is like, well, 
can you see the wind? And Nicodemus is like, no. He goes, but can you see its influence? Can you see its impact? He's like, yes. And so he starts to unpack what it means to be born again. That was a conversation that Jesus had with Nick at night that literally altered his life. It was an encounter they had with Jesus. That encounter influenced a future encounter with other people. In John chapter 7, Nicodemus is before the Sanhedrin, and he is defending Jesus. Later, <coughs> excuse me, because Nicodemus became um, a devout, uh, devout believer, uh, Nicodemus was kicked out of the Sanhedrin. And then in John chapter 19, Nicodemus once again shows up, and he shows up with, uh, you know, uh, certain resources and spices at Jesus' uh, grave to embalm Jesus. But even more interesting than all of that, there is something about Nicodemus you might not know, and that is that he had a famous brother. His brother was named Josephus. You ever heard of Josephus? The writings of Josephus, these are kind of like some... Um, they're not canonized scripture, but they're highly reputable scripture, uh, highly reputable uh, documents. And his brother documented a lot of what happened that revolved around many things. He was a famous historian, but specifically about Nicodemus. And, he, and it states in Josephus that Nicodemus was the wealthiest man of all, in all of Israel. He was so wealthy that he could fund all of Israel for 10 years. And he was referred to in the writings as the rich young ruler. He was an economic ruler. He was a man of great influence. He was the youngest member of the Sanhedrin. And, and so this was all recorded in, in, in the book of Josephus. Now, even more interesting is that this guy in this book was uh, recorded to have sold everything and give it to the poor. Wow. So many theologians get the connection here, believe that this is the same guy we're studying here in this story in um, Mark chapter 10, that the rich young ruler and Nicodemus are the same person. And so it could be said, it's very possible, many historians believe that, that Nicodemus, the rich young ruler, gave away every dime to the poor. In fact, the writings say that he lived with someone for 30 years um, because he couldn't even afford to take care of himself. He had a best friend named Joseph of Arimathea. Some of you know the story there. And when Nicodemus went to embalm Jesus and put him in a tomb, he had to borrow somebody else's tomb because he didn't have enough money for his own tomb that Jesus could go in. And thankfully, uh, he was able to give it back probably after that because the guy was only there three days. Come on, somebody. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But I can't wait to meet Nicodemus and hear all the nuances of this story, excuse me. <clears throat> so it's very possible, very likely, that he sold everything he had and gave it away. Now back to the story. Your pastor's fighting a little cold here. Apologies. Back to the story, Mark 10, 23. It says, now after, this is after Nicodemus leaves. This is after, excuse me, the rich young ruler. Let's not make that total assumption. It says, how hard it is for those. So he walks away sorrowful. Jesus says, how hard it is is it for those who are rich to enter the kingdom of God? The disciples were astonished. Jesus said, children, <laughs> how hard is it for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God? It's easier, this is huge, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And they were greatly astonished. They said to themselves, well, then who on earth can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with God, 
excuse me, with men, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Isn't it interesting that the scripture we quote to um, validate external miracles is this scripture, but this particular verse, with God all things are possible, is to denote and to demonstrate the greatest miracle isn't external, but it's internal. In other words, it's harder for a guy who has this one thing that he's holding on to, in this case, his possessions. In this case, it was his God. It was ahead of God. And God shall have no other gods before him, the first and greatest commandment, perhaps. And, and that was the problem that Jesus was trying to deal with. He says, that's the big miracle. When somebody will tear down that, will take up their cross and follow me. When they'll let that go, when they'll pull that thing down and give that away and give that away, that's the greatest miracle of all. But he's also saying, you cannot save yourself. There's nothing you can do. We cannot save ourselves. And so if we're willing to give up everything to God, look what God is willing to do for us. Now, Peter comes into the story. Peter's kind of like big mouth. And he enters the story in verse 28. And he says, uh, hey, Jesus, see, look, check it out. We have left all and followed you. We did that. And so Jesus is like... All right, all right. As surely as I say to you, there is no one who has left house, brothers, sisters, father, mother, wife, children, lands for my sake and for the gospel, who shall not receive a hundredfold. Look, now in this time. Then he says, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands. And there's a little thing in there that I don't like with persecutions in the age to come. And then eternal life. See, I love that, first of all, Jesus doesn't ask for something without giving us something in return. There's always, there's always rewards with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, but it requires total commitment. And what I also love about this part, in particular as it pertains to the rich young ruler slash Nicodemus, is Nicodemus never heard about the hundredfold part. He walked away, yet he still gave it all away anyway. So because for him, it wasn't about what he got, but it was about who he got. For him, it wasn't, a, he, he was doing this for the right reasons, not for the wrong reasons. In other words, it wasn't about the benefits, but the blessing and the reward of relationship with God. And so in conclusion, let me just say this. The first point's kind of like, it's, it's bad news for some of you. You're not good enough for this. The third point is good news for all of you. Jesus loves you, though. But the second point is that God requires total commitment, total commitment and total surrender. You know, I heard a story about a young man who had a, who had a problem with that. He's 21 years old, and on his birthday, his 21st birthday, he had one thing on his mind. You might think different things, but I'll skip ahead and tell you what it is. He wanted to go and gamble, okay? So all his bros got together. They go to a casino. They gamble. He wanted to hear the ding, 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 ding. He wanted to see the lights. He wanted cash, money. If he could make it fast and furious, he was all about that. He was so excited to go, and like so many that have gone before him, he comes out at the end of the night, head held low, and he's got no dough. He's got nothing but a $5 chip in his hand after everything. Well, he's too embarrassed to go back and cash it in. He's thinking, nah, it's not going to look so good. It's a shame to do that. So he thinks, <coughs> let's let it ride just one more time. 
I've lost everything so far, why not? So he goes and he plays roulette. And he, and he basically got a number, black or red, and you kind of, you bet on one of those. So he bets red, $5, double down, let's go. He throws it in there, the thing's going round and round and round, bam, hits red, winner, 10 bucks. He's like, huh, it's pretty good. I'm still in rough shape, I mean, got nothing, you know. Still going home with very little. I've lost a ton. Let's do it again. So let's put it on red again. Go for letter rhyme. Winner, 20 bucks. He's like, man, I wouldn't say my luck's turning around per se, but it's getting a little better. And I mean, I'm not like turning, you know, heads or anything, but I, I want, I mean, let's do it again. And so he said, let it ride. He lets it ride again. 20. Winner, red. Now he's got 40 bucks. Now he's, now he's like, okay, this is starting to become some money. You know, like this is no joke. But my bank account is still empty. This is not how I wanted my 21st birthday to go. Just come back with 40 bucks. <sighs> I'm going to go for it. I'm, I'm, I'm going on. I haven't made money this fast ever. So let's, let's do it again. He lets it ride. Let it go red, 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 red. Winner. Okay, 80 bucks. Now everything kind of, it's almost like, ooh, time stops. The narrative in his brain begins to change. He started to look at what was five bucks is now, as a 21-year-old, real money. He's got 80 bucks in his hand, and he's thinking to himself, my gosh, um, I've never made so much money so fast. This is incredible, but I can't take the risk. I can't do this again. I can't push this bet out there one more time. I can't. I mean, the only way to play is total commitment. The only way to do this is to take that full risk. The only, but the stakes are too high. And he walks away. And that's what it's like for some of us today. That's what it's like for so many people that hear the incorruptible truths of God's word. And I think Jesus is out there, maybe talking to you in your home, maybe talking to you through a YouTube video right now, maybe talking to you through an Instagram, maybe talking to you at the city groups right now, and he's asking you, what's that one thing that is keeping you from total commitment? What's that one thing that's keeping you from going all in, sir, ma'am, boy, or girl? What is it? With every head, every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to pray for you. I'm going to invite all the city groups, the leaders to come to the front right now. Would you please... Would you please come? Because I want you to be, be ready to pray for people. I want you to be able to identify where people are at in their spiritual journey. Come quickly, come quickly at all the six locations. <clears throat> I want to say something to two groups of people, okay? Listen now. This is important, so don't check out. This is so critical. But I need you to know something, and I, I believe this with all my heart, that Jesus, it's not a perfect analogy, so don't take offense to this, but Jesus is the safest bet you could ever make. He's the safest bet you could ever make. I, I just, for those who don't know him, this is critical. God wants to be in relationship with him, but, but you've got to invite him in, you know? You got to just like, okay, I am. I'm cashing in trying to do it on my own. I can't, I can't do it on my own. And so if that's you today and you're not in relationship with him, you don't have, you've never established a personal relationship. Let me tell you something, you're not good enough. Only, there's only one good. No, not one. The only one who's good is God. The only one who's good, the only one who lived that sinless, perfect life on your behalf is Jesus. Do you accept that today? Do you want to accept that he 
did all that for you, that he made a payment for your sins once and for all, if that's you, with every head bowed, every eye closed, online, in person, just close your eyes and pray this prayer. Say, Jesus. Come on, say it, say it right out loud. Say, Jesus. Today is the day of salvation for me. I receive that you, and I believe, that you were the only one good enough. My goodness is not good enough. There's no score that I can get to get into heaven. It requires perfection, and you did that for me. I received by grace through faith what Jesus Christ did for me 2,000 years ago. And by faith, I apply it to my own life, my own eternal security, and I receive that you made that payment for my sins, and I receive eternal life, that, that wonderful gift that I couldn't earn on my own right now in Jesus' name. Now, there are some of you that have prayed a prayer like that before, but you're living like a person who's hedging their bets. You're hedging your bets. Like, you, you, you're, you're giving God part of you, but you've got your sword out, your wallet out. You've got parts of your life that you categorically are not all in. I want you to take the plunge. Some of you need to get baptized in a couple weeks, but as an outward sign of what we're praying right now, I want you to go all in in. Are you ready to push it all in? Are you ready to trust Jesus as not only your Savior, but your Lord? If that's you today, pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, today I surrender all. Come on. Jesus, today I, I make a total commitment to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Lord, I might be looking at some of the things and saying, I don't know if I could give that up. And I, and I understand that. I think God understands that too but you will be rewarded in this life. God will give you back a hundredfold return when you totally commit to him. Trust him as you totally commit to him. He will totally commit to you in Jesus' name. And everybody said out there, come on, say amen. In the chat, come on, light it up, say amen. Let's give high fives. Let's give hand claps. Let's give hallelujahs. Everybody, I'm so excited for you. Listen, if you made that decision, whether in person or online, I want to send you a book. It's called What's Next. I also want you to tell somebody what you did. So you text CC Saved to 97,000. When you do that, we're going to send you a resource that's going to help you with the decision you just made and help you know what to do next. We want to help you on your spiritual journey. That's one of our purposes at Connect Church. I'm so grateful that you guys were with us today. I hope you were blessed. Let us know. Tell us how we can serve you better. Don't mix next week's message on encounters with Jesus. I'm telling you, this might be my favorite message of the series you don't want to miss it. God bless you. I'll see you guys soon.